Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 229, Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Conor McGregor. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday, the biggest fight of 2018. The King is back. Yeah, it's been a while since we've seen him, man. This guy, uh, we need this guy in the fight game. You know, he brings the excitement back to the cage. You know, he makes things personal with his opponents. And uh, now we got the two best lightweights in the world uh, ready to go to battle. Man, you know, it's so interesting because back in uh, April when he threw that dolly at the bus, I was convinced. That's it, dude. Like, I was like, look, man, I know he's rich as fuck. I know he's powerful. I know he's you know, set all these records, done all these things, the Floyd Mayweather fight, but I was like, I don't care who you are, you can't throw a dolly at a bus window, you know, make people bleed and do the whole bit and get away with it, and guess what, Shaq, he fucking got away with it, man, and uh, here we are, it's about to go down Saturday night. I guess they weren't lying when they say the king can do whatever he wants. They weren't lying at all, man, because uh, I'm, I'm honestly curious what other things he could get away with and uh, come back. But the bottom line is, for our uh, selfish entertainment reasons, we get to see him fight, which I'm very excited about. And as far as Khabib Nurmagomedov, one doesn't simply go 26-0 in professional MMA. And uh, that's exactly what this guy has done, Shaq. Yeah, Khabib has a dominant skill in this game that not too many people have. You know, that top control and that pressure and just that uh, that wrestling, you know, I kind of rate him higher than some Division One wrestlers. I mean, I think his wrestling is that good. And now he's facing the best striker to hit the sport in years, too. So this is the, one of those truly uh, striker versus grappling matchups. It really is, man. You got a belt on the line. Not just any belt. The belt that represents the most talent-stacked division in the entire UFC and the winner's going to walk away the undisputed champ. I know uh, my boy El Kukui Ferguson might have something to say about that. He's got his own uh, issues to worry about this weekend with the former champion Pettis. But Nurmagomedov and Conor McGregor, I mean, first of all, Conor wins this fight. Not only does he become a two-time lightweight champion, he becomes a three-time UFC champion. And Khabib Nurmagomedov, he'll be able to do something that Conor hasn't done, which is defend the belt. Now, I know Conor gets a lot of heat for not defending the belt, but still, winning two belts in two different weight classes and not to mention the competition that he beat to get those belts. I mean, I feel like people don't give Jose Aldo the respect he deserves anymore because he got stopped in 13 seconds. They forget this is the dude that was undefeated for like 10 years. This is the dude that, you know, didn't barely even lost a round in the UFC, was smoking everyone. Connor goes in there, puts him out with the first punch. So I, I feel like Connor actually is a little bit underrated as a fighter just because his trash talking uh, mesmerizes people. But now. You know, the talking's over, man, because when you fight Khabib Nurmagomedov, I don't think there's going to be any room for talking, Shaq. Yeah, I mean, Khabib likes to uh, talk to his opponents, you know. I, I remember him telling Michael Johnson, Michael, you must give up. I deserve this. <laughs> so uh, Khabib's a one-of-a-kind, man. I'm so excited for this fight. And, you know, I see a lot of people trying to downplay uh, trying to downplay this as if it's not that big of a fight, you know. This is one of the greatest matchups in the in the sports history, so I'm super excited. Yeah, me too. And, you know, normally we do these cards and, you know, we start from the bottom, work our way to the top. But we're not going to make the fans wait for this main event breakdown. This is the reason you guys tune in. I know you'd rather hear about Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov than, uh, than Gray Maynard, than Ryan LaFleur, than uh, Lena Landsberg and Alain Patrick. So we'll spare you guys. We'll talk about all those fights at the end. Let's get right down to 
the main event of the evening, my man, because we got Khabib Nurmagomedov. He's minus 165. The comeback on Conor McGregor is plus 155. Shaq, it's going down this Saturday. You got the 26-0 Khabib Nurmagomedov trying to put his undefeated record on the line, trying to make the first defense of his UFC title. He's undefeated in reality. He's undefeated in the UFC. But now he's taking on the single... Uh, most devastating one-punch knockout artist he's ever faced in Conor the Notorious McGregor, a guy who basically defies all the odds uh, on the reg. So now I got to know, man, are you taking Khabib to make his record 27-0? and no? Or are you going with Conor McGregor off the two-year layoff to come back here and reclaim his lightweight title? Yeah, man. Uh, Khabib, you know, 26-0. and 0. Beating everyone he's been in there with. Uh, definitely hasn't beaten the resume of uh, Conor McGregor, considering McGregor's beaten, you know, Holloway, Poirier, Aldo, uh, Alvarez, uh, Diaz. You know, the list goes on and on. And, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of this whole the knock on McGregor is when he gets tired, he always gives up. And, you know, I kind of disagree with that statement because, you know, in two of his uh, submission losses, I mean, they were in the first round. So, I mean, he definitely wasn't tired, and he definitely didn't give up after when he was tired. I mean, those are quick submissions. And the one time, you know, he did get tired and give up, I mean, let's not talk about the uh, the big weight inf uh, inflation that he had. You know, he was a featherweight at the time. He was consistently fighting at 145 pounds. And then he goes up to 170 pounds to fight a Diaz, who uh, has a history of fights at 170 pounds. So, I mean, of course he's going to get tired with that extra weight. It was a, a mistake on his part. You know, he felt like he was invincible and he learned his lesson. And props to him for coming back and still fighting at 170 in the rematch and, you know, getting his job done. So, you know, this whole... Uh, he gets tired a lot thing. I mean, he got tired at a weight class that he shouldn't be fighting at. Um, and for Khabib, I mean... That guy uh, is a dominant when it comes to the clinch, when it comes to the wrestling. You know, uh, I think Khabib, he's willing to eat a couple shots to come in. And, you know, I don't want to discredit the opponents he's been fighting. But, you know, there is a mental difference with, with those guys and Conor McGregor. I mean, you know, it's just plain and simple. You know, I, I like Rafael Dos Anjos. You know, I like Edson Barbosa. But, you know, those guys came out and they were on the defensive right away. You know, Conor McGregor's a guy that likes to come out there and take that center right away and get in your face. And, you know, the way Khabib Nurmagomedov pulls back from exchanges. And, I mean, this is dating back to when he was fighting Kamal Shalarus and Glayson Tebow. The way he pulls back from some of those exchanges is uh, very could be very detrimental to him in this fight. Now, my big question is, you know, I do have a lot of concerns about what McGregor's been doing uh, since the Mayweather fight. You know, I mean, when you get a uh, hundred million plus dollars, man, I mean, uh, you do a hundred plus million dollar stuff and you put a hundred million dollar plus things in your nose. So, you know, I do have uh, <laughs> I do have some concerns about what he's been doing outside the cage. And I mean, look, I don't uh you know, I don't partake in that in those type of activities, but I, I, I know a cokehead when I see one. <laughs> so, you know, and I, I truly believe that, you know, he he was parting a little bit. So, you know, whether that has a, effect, a positive effect on him, because some people it does make invincible. But, you know, in a grueling 25 minute fight, you know, uh, we'll see. We'll see how it uh, affects him. But as far as how they match up, I think could be Narmagomedov uh, cannot stand with McGregor for any serious amount of time out in space. I think the way he pulls back from those exchanges is uh, going to leave him very unconscious. I mean, we're talking about a guy that, I mean, we saw what he did to Eddie Alvarez, and one would counter me with uh, 
with oh it's eddie alvarez but yeah eddie alvarez has touched the belt in every single promotion he's been in and uh at the time i mean who, who puts eddie alvarez down i mean you know how hard it is to put eddie alvarez down mcgregor went out there and made it look real easy so uh you know, I, this whole uh, him hitting the fatigue state, I don't think it's going to come as quickly as people think. You know, if if Khabib's chin lasts, you know, uh, like I said, his fatigue state was at 170 pounds, a weight class he should, has no business being at. But, you know, I truly do think that if uh, Khabib's chin can last, I think that uh, if he does, you know, get that tight waist position and if he does, you know, get on top of him and start landing that ground and pound, you know, I, I do think... Conor McGregor will give up. It's a 50-50 fight. I just think uh, uh, it's tough, man. Uh, you know, I'll I'll take Khabib. You know, I think uh, I think he will get dropped a couple times, but uh, I think uh, at some point he will get on top, and I feel like he will uh, drain McGregor. But you know, I got a tons of respect for McGregor, but uh, I do those things outside the cage do worry me, worry me a bit, and uh, I'll, I'll take Khabib by by uh, unanimous decision. So he's going with Khabib to extend his record to twenty seven in O, and that's like a boxing record, Shaq. You know, we talk about these guys like Jimmy Rivera and Cody Stamen, and we like to, you know, we like we like to be funny about how they have boxing records, but uh, Khabib actually legit has a boxing record. I mean, 27, and no, that, that's something you'd see on a, on a Showtime preview before, uh, you know, before a Friday or Saturday night boxing match. So, man, much respect him to, for getting to that point. Now, as far as this matchup's concerned, man, there's so many, there's so many ways to describe it. There's so many possibilities. I feel like people think, oh, if Khabib takes him down one time, it's over. If Connor hits him with the left hand one time, it's over. And I, I completely disagree with both those points, man. I don't think that Khabib taking him down one time spells the end of the fight at all. I mean, first of all, Chad Mendes took him down four times and still got knocked out. Chad Mendes is a D1 wrestler. You know, I know people are going to talk about, oh, Chad Mendes was coming off the couch. Yeah, well, fucking Rory McDonald uh, tore Conor McGregor's ACL on that world tour. So, you know, it, it is what it is, man. They both had their issues to deal with. Not like Conor was working, uh, not like Conor was getting ready for a wrestler anyways, but... Bottom line is, the one time he did fight a D1 wrestler, he st- he got taken down four times and he knocked him out. The reason I bring that up is because he can be taken down more than once and uh, you know not hit that fatigue state. Because with Conor, the biggest issue with him is after uh, he has so much output and he's throwing these bombs at you, because he-, he hits fucking hard, man. I mean, you see the way he's launching these guys that have never been launched. So a- after you hit a man so many times and he doesn't go down, I understand why you hit that fatigue state? Because Nate Diaz has a legendary chin. Aside from that Josh Thompson fluke, Nate Diaz has never been knocked out in his life, man. So, you know, you should see some of those shots he was hitting Nate Diaz with. Normal men, normal people cannot walk through those shots that Nate Diaz walked through. Khabib Nurmagomedov cannot walk through those shots that Nate Diaz walked through. So, as far as his matchup's concerned... Khabib's been closing the distance by running at these guys with a barrage of punches. You know you know how I always like to say when Khabib likes to turn up, he turns up. Well, not only does he charge at dudes with these punches, but he also start throwing the flying knees and basically try to back you up against that fence. And once you're up against that fence, that's when he starts to chain the takedowns together. Now, in the process of closing the distance, that's where Connor's going to have his opening for that straight left hand because... 
for example, go back and watch the Eddie Alvarez fight. You know, they kind of they kind of stared at each other for about a minute. You know, they're fainting a little bit. A couple front kicks, no big deal. But about a minute in, as soon as Eddie Alvarez decides, okay, now I'm going to close the distance on this guy. <laughs> That's when uh, he got launched, uh, you know, 20 feet across that octagon. So I want everyone to go back and watch that first time when he got launched because that was the first time he decided to commit to close the distance. And the way he did close the distance was very similar to how Khabib Nurmagomedov closes the distance, you know? Chin straight up in the air, running uh, in there, you know, barrage of uh, overhands, you know, overhand right, left hook, try to close that distance. He does that on Conor McGregor, he's getting knocked out. So what I think Khabib Nurmagomedov should probably do here, we circle on the outside a little bit, keep our hands up in the air, and instead of barraging with those punches, he should just start trying to shoot for low singles. Look, you might not get the first couple but if he's eventually able to reap that leg and get Connor down, the fight's not going to be over there. But he can start to to land, you know, the big ground and pound. Because, I mean, I, I don't know if you recall that fight with Michael Johnson, but, dude, he was swinging those shots from the heavens. That ground and pound was devastating. But one thing I want to know is I'm curious why these guys don't go unconscious to his ground and pound. You know, because, for example, Edson Barboza, that's a guy I've seen him get dropped by a jab before. You know, I've seen him get knocked out by Jamie Varner, who's had 30 concussions before. But Khabib Nurmagomedov lands 300 punches on his chin, and the guy gets up uh, in the final round and gives him a hug and smiles. So I'm curious if Khabib is purposely torturing these guys or if he simply doesn't really have that one-punch knockout power. Obviously, it's not to the extent of McGregor. Let's not even sit here and bullshit. But just because you don't have McGregor's power doesn't mean you can't put someone down. And I know he put down Tiago Tavares. I know... He put down Kamal Shalarus and choked him out, but he's never truly knocked someone out. He doesn't have that true knockout power. So for him to put Connor away, he needs to ground and pound him to the point where Connor does get to that fatigue state. And I think that after the first takedown, I actually do think that Connor will be able to get back up. I think it's going to take a couple of takedowns for Connor to get into that fatigue state. And if Khabib's able to get him there, it's going to be an absolute mauling because, look, no one has the top control of Khabib Nurmagomedov. People talk about his takedowns. People talk about his ground and pound. But for me, the most impressive part of his game is his top control. He's one of these guys that when he's on top, you know, we can't describe why. We, you know, we don't know the rhyme or the reason. But people can't get this guy off of them. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. His top control is absolutely insane. It drains your gas tank. Now, Conor McGregor's grappling is very underrated in my opinion. I mean, you remember that first fight with Nate Diaz at 170 pounds. Nate Diaz actually took him down with a single leg. Connor used a very nice X-guard sweep to, to get on top. As Connor would say, I, I, I swept him with ease. Now, Connor's not going to be able to pull off shit like that while he's fatigued. However, while he is fresh, the guy's no slouch on the mat. I mean, you remember when he took down Max Holloway, that nice knee slice pass he used, which is very similar to a to a pass that my boy Damian Maya uses, even Gunnar Nelson uses. So, Connor's actually got some good techniques on the mat. It's just that's not his go-to at all. And when he hits that fatigue state, uh, there's not going to be any uh, any counter grappling here on Connor's part. Now, uh, people like to talk about how, oh, but he uh, he shot for a takedown against Nate Diaz and let himself get choked out. I, I think you guys need to understand that the shots that Nate survived to get to that point are shots that other people simply can't eat. I am not under the impression that Khabib Nurmagomedov can eat those same shots that Nate Diaz ate 
and then come back and uh, take him down and choke him out. I think for Khabib, he's got to be diving on legs from the jump. And hey, nothing wrong with that. That's the smart thing to do against Conor McGregor. Make him work. Make him sprawl. Make him get back up from bottom. Make him separate from the clinch. You know, get that lactic acid going in those arms. That's what Khabib Nurmagomedov needs to do. And for Conor McGregor, he can't be rushing anything. I think as soon as the bell rings, he needs to take the center of the octagon. Kind of like he did against Chad Mendes, but a little bit more a little bit more careful, less carefree, because against Chad Mendes, you know, he's going out there, first strike he throws is a spinning back kick, you know, you, you throw a spinning back kick on Khabib, it might land, but he also might turn that corner, take your back, and uh, take you on a ride, you know, on, on Dagestani Airlines to Suplex City, so you have to be super careful, but I do think he should take the center of that octagon, and I do think that the teeps could be effective if he pulls them back fast enough, try to try to drain that gas tank, try to throw straight to the body, and then go up to the top. Because Michael Johnson was kind of, he kind of had the right idea. It's just we know Michael Johnson can't bust a grade. Michael Johnson's a volume guy. You know, Michael Johnson's a speed guy. Michael Johnson's a 45er. Michael Johnson doesn't have that one-punch knockout power. But Michael Johnson had the right idea for the first two minutes of the fight, which is, you know, land the straights to the body, then try to come up top, and try to stuff from there. Now, unfortunately for Michael Johnson, after two minutes of that fight, uh, he was unable to continue. You know, he's throwing way too much volume. He's gassing himself out. And eventually, Khabib was able to get on top and land shots raining down from uh, <laughs> from the heavens, man. It was absolutely devastating. Now, in that second round, Michael Johnson actually was stuffing some takedowns. And then uh, he was so overwhelmed by the pressure that he went for a guillotine of his own. I was, I was like, wow, Michael. You know, but Khabib gets to people like that. And with Conor McGregor, you know, he has done uncharacteristic shit before when he's gassed out, like shoot for a takedown against Nate Diaz. But, I mean, look, that one-two that Nate Diaz landed on his chin, Conor didn't know where he was. And I don't think Khabib possesses that kind of power. So back, back, to, back to this matchup between Conor and Khabib comes down to a lot of things. Comes down to how Khabib approaches the first couple of minutes. Because I think the first couple of minutes are crucial here, man. If he comes out here and tries to close the distance on Connor like he does against these other guys, I think he will take a canvas nap. But if he comes out here, no no trading hands. Let's just dive on this low single. Let's push him up against the fence and just keep working and working and working. I do think he can win this fight. However, I have to make a pick. And I think when he closes the distance, I think that, you know, it's easier said than done. I think that when you're training, you know, you can try to change your ways. But when you're inside that octagon, those lights are on, the ref says go, I think you revert to your natural instincts. And I think that people fight the way they fight. And I think that when Khabib closes the distance on Conor McGregor, that's when he's going to get knocked out by Conor McGregor. So I am going to go with Conor via KO. But how, But that being said, look, I understand and, and the possibilities of both guys winning this fight. I respect both athletes tremendously. And if Khabib is able to get past that left hand and not take it clean, hey, chances are he can come out here and absolutely maul Conor McGregor. But I just think that technically speaking, the way he closes the distance is going to leave that big opening. It just reminds me of the first minute of the Alvarez fight. Just go back and watch how Eddie closes that distance in that first minute. I think that's what's going to happen here. I'm going to go with Conor McGregor via knockout. Well, Shaq. Now we got to talk about the co-main event because we got Tony Elkukui Ferguson. He's minus 370. The comeback on Anthony Showtime Pettis is plus 310. So, man, Tony Ferguson, he beat Kevin Lee his last fight. Anthony Pettis beat Michael Chiesa. Now they're meeting each other. Very wide line. Who you got, bro? 
Yeah, this is a great fight. You know, uh, Tony's coming back from that knee surgery. Uh, you know, that knee surgery generally takes eight months to a year. You know, he's coming back in uh, five months. But uh, we do know Tony is kind of a one of a kind when it comes to the mental game. And Anthony, you know, I mean, you know, I think Anthony's a talented striker. Um, but, you know, that Kiesa fight, I don't want to discredit him, but, I mean... Kiesa uh, missed weight for the fight, if I'm if I'm uh, correct. Uh, and to be honest, you know, Kiesa will never touch that. Uh, Kiesa's in a different division now. Just put it that way. Um, Kiesa will what? You got to tell him. <laughs> Kiesa will never t- touch that top ten in his life. But <laughs> uh, but you know, Anthony. I mean, he's a talented striker. Now, the reason that kind of makes this uh, matchup interesting is because you know, I f- I do feel like Tony Ferguson. Uh, mentally is as tough as they come i mean you know just listen to the guy talk i mean he's a he's a mexican lunatic you know um and but i have been saying for a while man i do feel like his chin's declining i mean you know kevin lee dropped him with a jab um and you know he takes a lot of damage each fight man and you know i feel like this is the real type of damage you know it's steady damage you know i feel like in the past people have said other guys take a lot of damage but you know uh I think Tony's chin is really declining. It's just a matter of Anthony's tough enough, man. You know, I feel like uh, when the going gets tough, I mean, Anthony Pettis has consistently shown, uh, you know, that he can't hang with the elite guys in the division. I mean, we saw what happened in that Poirier fight. You know, we saw what happened uh, when he wasn't having his way in the Edson fight. Um, but what makes this matchup so interesting, you know, Tony Tony Ferguson really doesn't shoot like traditional double legs like how Poye did or how uh, Alvarez was shooting, you know, or Rafael Dos Anjos. I mean, he's more of a, you know, uh, dynamic type of guy. You know, he just likes to create chaos. But, you know, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Anthony caught him with a head kick or something. But, you know, most likely I'd, I, Tony Ferguson, and he does draw blood on Anthony. I do feel like Anthony will uh, slowly start to check out, you know, not look for a way out, but he'll probably start to look for a way out. But, you know, Anthony's got all the skills to knock Tony out. Like I said, I do feel like Tony's chin is declining, but uh, he is getting up there in age. And this fight, I mean, he really has nothing to gain, you know, f- from uh, from my uh, rankings and title, title perspective. But, you know... Uh, I'll take Tony Ferguson by late stoppage. Yeah, you know, I feel like Anthony Pettis is a guy that should not be counted out just because of his experience, what he's done in the sport, who he's beat, and just his skill level overall. But as far as his matchup's concerned, even though I agree with you that, you know, Tony probably shouldn't have taken this fight, Shaq. You know what I mean? Like, when when these guys take these fights, when they're fighting down, uh, Sometimes weird shit happens, man, especially with a guy like Tony who is as vulnerable as he is. But, man, to go on the kind of win streak that he's on, he's 13-1 and in the UFC, Shaq. People just don't put up numbers like that these days. So, you know, much respect to El Kukui and uh, AP Anthony Pettis. I actually feel like, you know, I, I know Michael Chiesa, you know, he was wearing pineapples at the press conference. And, you know, he gets mad if you talk about his mom. Like, you know, the guy's not – he misses weight. He's not really much of a professional. But so what? 
he still got some great wins on his record, and Anthony Pettis went out there and not not just beat him, Shaq. He, he finished him in the second round. He made him quit. You know, the one area that people had concern was, oh, what happens if Kiesa gets on top? Well, Kiesa got on top and he got tapped out, you know? So a, as far as this matchup is concerned, I think Tony Ferguson's on a completely different level than a Michael Kiesa. I mean, obviously, you know, the numbers speak for themselves, right? But I, I just feel like Tony Fer Ferguson performs on a different frequency. The issue with him is... uh. He does have some overconfidence in his chin, and I have seen scrubs like Lando Venata drop him three times. So, you know, nothing's going to surprise me, man. This is MMA. But that being said, I feel like the place where Tony can win this fight is his pace, is his relentlessness, is the fact that he can push someone up against the fence. He can take him down to the ground. I know we haven't seen that much because he does like to brawl. But the guy is a smart guy. You know, I know people think he's crazy, and he is crazy. He's kind of like an evil genius. He's kind of a lunatic. He's kind of a Mexican boogeyman, you know, a former alcoholic. Uh, he, he quit drinking, by the way, Shaq. I don't know if I believe him, but that's what he said, right? But, look, I, I just think that the guy's pace is too much for Anthony Pettis. But there are going to be openings there for Pettis to potentially land the high kick, to potentially catch a guillotine, something like that. So, this is MMA. Nothing's going to surprise me. AP comes out here and gets this upset. Like, I'm not going to, like, my jaw's not going to drop one bit. It'll just be like, oh, wow, you know, that was badass. But I have to go with uh, Tony Ferguson here. I just think he's uh, in a better place right now. And I think his pace will be too much for Anthony Pettis. I got Tony Ferguson via unanimous decision. Well, Shaq, this fight right here is going to be really good because we got Dominic the Devastator Reyes. He's minus 230 to come back on O Vince St. Pru OSP is plus 190. So you going with the undefeated Reyes, or you think my boy uh, O. Vince is about to hand a first L here? Man, I really like Reyes here. You know, I think, uh, you know, I don't think Reyes is invincible or anything, but when I look at OSP lately, I feel I see a flat-footed guy that likes to raise his chin in the air. And, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, although Reyes really hasn't fought anybody, I see all the offensive uh, potential there. I mean, the guy definitely hits hard. He definitely put Cannoneer on his ass. And uh, no one's done that to Jared Cannonier, at least on the feet. I mean, guys generally like to tip and run Cannonier. So, you know, uh, I think OSB, of course, has more experience. Definitely seen <laughs> way more of the sport than uh, Dominic Reyes. But, uh, you know, I kind of think the line is warranted. You know, I feel like OSB is getting old. I feel like his uh, chin is declining. You know, if he jags it in the deep waters, we're definitely going to see what Reyes is made out of. But, uh, you know, historically, OSP's cardio, you know, extended isn't the best either. So, you know, but I honestly think uh, Reyes is going to knock him out here probably early. I just think uh, OSP's coming out with his hands down, chin up in the air. I mean, we saw his last fight, Pedro uh, almost knocked him out there. But that was a bad uh, fight IQ from Tyson Pedro. I mean, if Pedro would have kept striking there, he probably would have knocked him out. But, you know, Pedro's strength is in that... Uh, I guess, in his uh, tie-up in his wrestling game. And the second he wobbles him, he starts trying to take him down. It's like, bro, he's a couple shots away from going out unconscious. And, you know, we saw him go out unconscious against Latifi as well. But, you know, I think uh, OSP is going to come out here flat-footed, chin up in the air. And at some point early, I think uh, Reyes will find the shot to put him down. Man. I'm rooting for my boy Ovince. You know, I hope he comes out here and hands Dominic his first L. And I, I like Dominic Reyes, too. I mean, they call him the Devastator for a reason. The guy's nasty. I like how he strings together his combinations. I like how aggressive he is. I like his finishing instincts. And also, I liked how he was backing up against Cannoneer and landed that beautiful uppercut that, uh, that face planted him. So Reyes has some techniques. It's just that he's never fought anybody before. You know, he's, he fought three... Uh, 
through Snowflakes, and now he's fighting Ovince St. Pru. The issue with Ovince is that he's very unpredictable. Actually, you could say he he's very predictable. The reason I say that is because if he's fighting a top-five guy, he's going to lose. If he's fighting a non-top-five guy, he's going to finish them. Well, currently, Dominic Reyes is a non-top-five guy. However, OSB is the top-five gatekeeper, so Reyes wins this fight, and he is a top-five guy. So, man, it, it's a tough one for me to call because all the openings are there for, for Dominic Reyes. You know, like you said, Ovens comes out with that chin in the air. He's flat-footed, looking to land that big kick. He hits like a truck. Look, he lands on Reyes' chin, and Reyes will take a canvas nap as well. He's not invincible at all. We've seen him get clipped as well. And Ovens is definitely that kind of guy to hand a first L, especially if he gets on top. So that's not going to surprise me. But based off what I saw on the tape, I feel like, well, firstly, even if Reyes takes an L here, I feel like he's got a lot more potential than Ovince, and I feel like his finished product is going to be a higher-ranked fighter than Ovince, no matter what. So, he might have to take his first L here and come back. However, I just feel like he's a little bit faster than Ovince. I think he's more athletic. I think he's bigger. I think he's fresher. I think he's got less damage on that meter. So, as much as it pains me to say, I think Dominic Reyes is going to come out here and knock out Ovince St. Preux in the first round. I hope I'm wrong. I hope this is first L time for Reyes, but it's probably not. So I'm going to go with Reyes inside the distance. Heavyweight division. We got Alexander Volkov. He's minus 170. And Derek the Black Beast Lewis is plus 150. Now, Shaq, you know uh, you know, Volkov was trying to get my boy Black Beast to go to Russia and fight him? Yeah, I mean, uh, they were looking for a main event on that card, but Volkov uh, should have known that uh, Black Beast ain't allowed down there. <laughs> But uh, as far as the fight goes, you know, I, I feel like the line could be a little closer. You know, uh, Black Beast does kind of get disrespected in the in the books at, at times. Um, and, you know, some of it's kind of warranted. I mean, a lot of these fights he's losing and then he comes out in that third round and pulls that chaos, kind of lulls you to sleep. You know, kind of like a similar game plan to Woodley, not saying that he's like Woodley, but, you know, he likes to back up into the fence and time a right hand as you're coming in. Um you know the things with the guys, the the things with the uh, the guys that Black Beast has been fighting. No offense to those guys, but you know, uh, you know, they they're so hell bent on trying to take him down, using all that energy to take a two hundred uh, a guy that cuts the two sixty five down. They're trying to use all that energy to take him down. And no offense to Marcin Tybura, but you know Tybura couldn't bust a grape, man. Uh, the guy throws some of the softest teeps I've I've seen, you know, and. Uh, I mean, the guy couldn't even finish Andre Arlovsky, you know what I'm saying? Um, but, you know, and uh, Black Beast, tough guy, that great, that went over Francis Ngannou, you know, uh, I felt like he won that fight because, you know, he threw six punches and uh, Francis threw three punches, you know. <laughs> I think it was one of those scenarios. But I got the ultimate respect for a guy like Black Beast, you know, uh, you know, in the Shamil fight, he loses the first three rounds clear as day, and then uh, he... Uh, comes out and turns up when black beast comes forward and he starts turning up it's a scary thing when that guy's in your face man i mean that guy can put anyone's lights out and i hear he's got a usada approved steroids uh for this fight so you know uh people could be in for a surprise now with volkov you know also kind of similar to black beast you know both of these guys kind of like to play a little they like to play little games in there you know they like to uh you know, fall back a little bit. They, they're they both very good at coming from behind, just put it that way. Um, I feel like Volkov's a little more wise to winning a decision, especially in a three-round fight against Black Beast, who likes to concede that, uh, you know, 
the center of the cage. Because, you know, uh, Volkov, I mean, he'll fight boring if he has to, man. I don't think he's uh, going to make as much mistakes, you know, uh, as these other guys do. I feel like Volkov will throw devastating teeps to uh, Derek's body. I feel like he can, you know, keep his range, keep his distance, stay calm. But to say that Volkov doesn't get hit, I mean... It's a that would be a lie, man. The guy definitely has his hands down at times, but he's relying on that range. I mean, you got to take a big step in to touch a six, seven guy on the chin. But, uh, you know, I think uh, the difference here is going to be uh, the IQ. You know, I feel like all those uh, some of the guys that Black Beast fought could have won a three round decision against them, but they just weren't calm and poised enough. I feel like Volkov is, you know, I feel like uh, the way he played that Verdum fight was absolutely perfect. I think he's going to come out here. I definitely expect him to take a smack or two at some point, and I definitely could get hairy, and I wouldn't be shocked if Black Beast uh, caught him at all. You know, Volkov does have the tendency to get caught with uppercuts a lot, but I think Volkov's going to come out here, get to a big lead those first two rounds. I think he's going to stay in the center, back up, keep his range, keep him to the body, occasional high kick, you know, a jab uppercut. And Black Beast is just going to fall behind on points, and I feel like the fight's going to be a little lackluster. I see Black Beast kind of coming back in the third round, but I think it's going to be a little bit too late. And I think uh, Volkov will edge out a decision. You know, Shaq, I agree with you, man. I, I think that Alexander Volkov is going to get off to a 2-0 lead as well. However, I, I think in that third round, he's going to throw another teep. It's going to get caught. He's going to get taken down. And that's when uh, Black Beast is going to get that third round ground and pound TKO. You know, I, I know people are talking about how, you know, Volkov looked so good against Wardoom. He was on his back the entire first round and survived. Wardoom couldn't even pass his guard. You're 100% correct. And let's just go ahead and say, Volkov is better than Derek Lewis everywhere. The striking technique, the grappling, I'd say, the cardio, the size, everything. He's a better fighter than Derek Lewis. But the thing that Derek's got going for him, you know, besides the fact that he's a total winner in the UFC, he's 11-3 and in the UFC, the guy wins a lot. People are going to discredit those wins, but I wouldn't discredit those wins, man. I mean, he just beat the number one contender, Francis Ngannou, and someone's going to be like, oh, how could you even bring up that fight? It was so terrible. Hey, guys, entertainment value doesn't mean shit when we're picking winners. That being said, when you land three strikes and your opponent lands zero strikes, three is more than zero. Three wins the fight. Three, oh, hey, he won three nothing. You know what I'm saying? What can I say? He won three nothing against one of the most devastating knockout artists that we've seen in the heavyweight division in a very long time. I don't know if people recall uh, Francis Ngannou wasn't just decapitating people. I mean, against Overeem, some of us thought Overeem died. And uh, it turns out he was fine. You know, he came back. But, you know, that that's the kind of power that Ngannou had. And then uh, Black Beast goes out there and he makes uh, Ngannou uh, stare at him for three rounds. You know, Ngannou feared Black Beast. Ngannou got outstruck by Black Beast. And I think in this fight... Volkov's going to get off to that big lead. He's going to be putting on the performance of his career. We're going to be talking about how he's the next guy in line for the heavyweight champion, Daniel Cormier. And in that third round, the Teep is going to get caught. Black Beast is going to get on top. And uh, one thing you don't come back from is that Black Beast ground and pound, man. You know, kind of like uh, we talk about how Khabib rains those punches from the heavens. Well, the difference here is that when Black Beast rains his punches, people go out cold. And I, I see it being a third-round TKO after a complete domination. It sucks for people that bet on Volkov because they're going to be like, are you fucking serious? Like, the guy's going to be putting on the performance of his career, and then he's going to get stopped in the third round. So I'm going to go with Derek Lewis, the Black Beast, third-round TKO. Now, kicking off the main card, 
We got a woman's bout between Felice Herrick. She's minus 120. The comeback on Michelle Watterson, the karate hottie, is plus 100. Shaq, we've seen a lot of back-and-forth action on this fight. The consensus is that this is going to be a 50-50 fight that could go either way. People are already saying it's going to be a split decision. And based on their last few fights, it might be. But I got to know, man, is that your opinion as well? Uh, not necessarily. You know, I feel like uh, Felice has definitely made some in improvement since that uh, Paige Van Zandt debacle down there. Um, I mean, she took her time off. And, I mean, she came back a completely different fighter. And I feel like, you know, some fighters, uh, they turn a corner at some point in their career. And, you know, Karate Heidi, you know, she's a tough girl. She's a nice girl. You know, like, she's got the... Uh, the the typical uh, Jackson kick to the uh, to the knee, but uh, you know I feel like she is small for the weight class. I feel like she's uh you know an atom weight. You know she she is an atom weight. She's moving up from star weight. Not to mention uh, she got taken down by Angela Magana. She uh, almost got armbarred by Angela Magana. That really and, happened, uh, folks. And, you know I just think uh, Felice is the superior fighter here. You know I I don't think it's going to be close. I think. Felice has turned a corner, made strides each fight. You know, I feel like she put a clinic on. Uh, you know, you know, I know Kylan Kern uh, isn't isn't the best, and it's easy to say things in hindsight. But let's just put it this way: going into the fight, Felice was the underdog to Kylan Kern, and I mean, I know not who else finished Kylan Kern in the first round like that. So, and, in less than in less than two minutes, and then uh, the the fight with. The fight with Alexa Grasso, you know, the number one prospect at the time from Mexico. And, I mean, Felice put an absolute clinic on her, boxed her up, took her down, you know, the whole bit. And then also beat another top prospect at the time. Like I said, it's easy to say things in hindsight. Of course, now we're going to say Justin Keish ain't shit. But at the time, Justin Keish was uh, <laughs> supposed to be, you know, supposed to break Felice. Felice was also the underdog in that fight. Felice is a girl that consistently gets disrespected in the books time in and time out. So, you know, uh, it doesn't surprise me that the line's close. But I think she's going to dominate this fight. You know, I think Watterson, uh, you know, I don't want to say she's mentally weak, but I just feel like she kind of, you know, when things get tough, I feel like she kind of, you know, gives up in fights. You know, I just feel like she doesn't have the size. You know, I feel like she won that last fight. It's because uh, Courtney Casey can't suffer takedown to save her life. I mean, Courtney Casey, I mean, if you've seen that Aguilar fight, I mean, all you got to do is just grab that leg out and Courtney Case is getting taken down. You know, I don't see that happening to Felice at all. You know, that fight with Felice uh, and Carolina let me know that Felice is, uh, you know, hit or stay. I feel like she can compete with the, uh, you know, the top six, seven in the division. And I, I don't feel like Watterson can. But as far as how they match up, you know, I see uh, I think Felice can get that body lock, take her down whenever she wants. Physically superior fighter. And uh, I think uh, she also showed her mental toughness there because, I mean, we've seen Carolina, you know, completely break girls with some of those shots that uh, she was hitting Felice with. And Felice was hanging in there, you know, came back every time, you know, stuffed the head and arm throws. She uh, she likes to take that back off the head and arm throws. So, you know, I can see a submission here, to be honest. Uh, but most likely it'll be a unanimous decision for Felice. And Felice's decisions aren't really close besides the Casey fight. Uh, they're really one-sided. So I got Felice. I feel like Michelle Watterson's got three things going for her. She's got a nice sidekick, a nice head and arm throw, and a nice ass. And, and that's the, about the extent of it, Shaq, because, you know, when I watch these fights and Angela Magana's giving her trouble, it, it just kind of lets me know the level she's on. And, you know, the last fight, hey, she went out there and beat a top 10 fighter in Courtney Casey, but you go back and you rewatch that fight, and it's like she didn't really go out there and uh, beat Courtney Casey, Shaq. You know, uh, she, 
I don't often see chicks get wobbled, but my girl Michelle was getting wobbled by almost every skull touch, and it's not like Courtney Casey's known for putting these girls down, man. So I was kind of taken aback by Michelle's chin. I think her chin might be on the decline. I mean, I know Rose dropped her with a head kick. Hey, you know, we'll give a pass for that, shin on chin, plus it's the champ. But I don't like how my girl Michelle reacts to getting hit. And one thing about Felice, you know, I was never high on her in the past, but I got to say, my girl Felice has made some improvements, man. I mean, firstly, she's always been very physically strong, but I feel like that fight against Grasso, when she went out there and put on that clinic against Grasso, I feel like that was a turning point for Felice's mentality, man. I feel like now she's starting to believe that, you know, she can hang with these top girls. And even that fight against Carolina where she got outstruck the first two rounds, and she got outstruck the entire fight, but she did land a nice punch in that third round, which wobbled Carolina. But at least she showed that, hey, look, I can go I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with a top three girl. I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a top five girl. And, and I just don't think that Michelle Watterson can. So I, I think for Felice, obviously, look, she's the bigger fighter, more physical. We already know that. But what, what she's got to look out for is that sidekick and that head and arm throw. It's the same story for every single person that fights Michelle Watterson. The issue with Courtney Casey was that, yeah, Courtney Casey's actually better than mostly all these girls she fights, but she's kind of a dummy and she loves to flop to her back, so she'll cost herself fights that she should have won. I don't think Felice is that type, man. I don't think Felice is going to flop her, to her back. I think, if anything, if Michelle tries to go for that head and arm throw, I feel like uh, Felice can actually reverse that, suplex her, get on top, and from there, I'm curious if Michelle can get back can get uh, back up from the feet, you know, get can get back up on the feet. And Michelle does have a nice arm bar off her back. Felice has to be worried about that. Look, Felice... Also can't get out volume here because for the first, you know, minute or two, Michelle is going to be running around that cage trying to land those inside leg kicks, a jab or two. But once she slows down, Michelle Watterson, that's when I think Felice will be able to take over. And uh, I think that Felice also wins a unanimous decision, but potentially a submission. So I'm going to go with uh, Felice Herrick here. Well, Shaq, on to the prelims now. And we got Sergio Pettis. He's minus 160. The comeback on Juicy A Formiga is plus 140. So you going with uh, the current number one contender, Sergio Pettis, or are you going with the former consensus number one flyweight, Juicy A Formiga? Yeah, you know, uh, Juicy A has kind of stumbled at this spot in his career consistently. You know, he uh, gets on a win streak and then he fights, uh, you know, the top guys in the division. And he generally loses, but you know, that was at his uh, former Camp Novo now. You know, now he's training at ATT. So we'll see how he does this time. You know, Sergio, we already know the deal with Sergio. He's probably the best striker in the flyweight division. But uh, we also know what Sergio's problem is. You know, I know he got past Minavitas, but, you know, uh, he went to his back again and he got taken down and, you know, tied up again. So, you know, uh, he almost let Benavidez be back in that fight. But, you know, uh, Sometimes, you know, Sergio likes to throw lazy kicks and they get caught. I mean, in that Moreno fight, uh, he threw some lazy kicks, got taken down, got his back taken. And I know uh, Juicy A was watching that on tape, getting very excited. Um, and, you know, Juicy A is one of these underrated guys, man. You know, uh, he, he, you know, he's got a very low output. He only lands about, I think, like one, less than one and a half strikes a minute. But, you know, uh, he doesn't take that much damage either. He's very smart. He's very calculated. You know, he's a good, solid Brazilian weasel. Um, but so Sergio's takedown defense has got to be on point, you know. I don't want to discredit the win over Benavides, but, you know, Benavides hadn't fought for two years. You know, we, between you and me, uh, at this stage, I know Benavides has more of a name value, but at this stage, I think Formiga definitely is the tougher opponent. 
Um, but Benavidez got touched early in that fight. You know, Ian Fon two years got his chin touched while his chin was warm, got dropped. And since then, after that, you know, it definitely felt like Sergio was landing the better the better strikes. But Benavidez was landing more volume and definitely pushing the pace. But uh, it was more sloppy, wild, all over the place. Uh, no offense to Benavidez. But uh, as far as this fight goes, you know, Sergio's definitely going to have to be on his A game because Formiga's going to come up here with a, a serious tie-up game and a stall game. I think he's going to try to win two of the three rounds and just barely eke it out. And uh, I think Sergio's going to try to do the same as well. But I feel like Sergio's going to win this fight just for uh, after the separations from the clinch. I think he's going to, you know, kind of not, not make Formiga look silly, but just land the better strikes, you know, uh, slip and rip. But uh, to say, to not be worried about Sergio's wrestling and clinch game, you know, I'd be a fool. I mean, the guy got, he went for a guillotine against John Moraga, and he got uh, body-locked by John Moraga. Uh, he got his back taken by Moreno <laughs> in two of the rounds. Um, and, you know, the Benavides fight and the Henry fight, you know, I'm not going to shame him in the Henry fight because uh, Henry is the flyweight champ and Henry's a bull. But Sergio's definitely got to fix that hole in his game. You know, I, I still think he'll be able to work around it enough to win a decision, though. Man, I feel like this is such a tough stylistic matchup for Sergio. I feel like he probably should have turned this fight down. Because, I mean, he just beat Joseph Benavidez. So. But, man, I feel like Henry Cejudo winning the title probably fucked up a lot of plans for Sergio. Because if DJ would have won, Sergio might have been the next number one contender to get that title shot. But now, you know, he's in an interesting situation. He's got to take this fight with Formiga. And Formiga is the worst stylistic matchup for Pettis on the entire roster, in my opinion, because, because for example, you go back, you watch a fight like like the Brandon Moreno fight, and, and Brandon Moreno takes his back in that first round, and, you know, Brandon Moreno's got some submission skills, but you get a guy like Formiga taking your back in that first round, and, firstly, he's going to keep the position, let's just get that out the way, but he's also good enough to where he could potentially be the guy that submits Sergio Pettis with a rear naked choke, with a Mata Leon, you know, I, I really do feel like Man, Sergio's got to be on his A game in this fight because Sergio loves to give up those takedowns early. And then he'll come back. Hey, the improvements he made his last fight because going to that last fight, I was like, dude, I got zero proof this guy can get up off his back. And uh, he got taken down one time. Then he got back up. Then he stuffed the next 13 or 14 takedown attempts. So that to me is a huge sign of improvement. The issue here with a guy like Formiga is he takes you down that one time and he takes your back, then what? You know what I'm saying? Then what? Then what are you going to do? Then you're going to lose the fucking round. So I see a scenario where Formiga comes out here, takes his back that first round. Then after that, Sergio could outstrike him the next two. There's always that possibility. But then there's the situation where Formiga is able to backpack him for all three rounds and potentially get the submission. So this is actually a tougher fight for me to call. I actually think the line should be closer to a pick for this one. I could be wrong because there is a huge advantage standing for, for Sergio. No doubt about it. He is the best striker in that division. But, man, you know, for all these Novo and Yao guys, Formiga still has something left in the tank. He's not one of these guys that gets hit once and then starts backing into the fence and goes on autopilot like like my, like my boy Hendon the Baron. So, you know, Formiga still got something left in the tank. I think the line should be closer. So I'm actually going with the dog here, man. Uh, you know, I love Sergio, but... I'm going to go with Formiga here. I think that this is a good stylistic matchup for him to get a big upset. And uh, Sergio will be back. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the widest line 
on the entire card because we got Vicente Luque. He's minus 850. The comeback on Jalen Turner is plus 575. Now, Shaq, there's no doubt about it in terms of experience. I mean, Luque has got it in spades. But I will say something about this kid Turner. You know, it's not like he's some, uh, you know, small, unathletic white guy coming off the couch. You know, I mean, Jalen Turner's, Turner's got some attributes. Uh, he's six foot three. He's naturally athletic. He can knock people out. So I think that he's got skills for the future. It's just, is the 23-year-old ready to step up and fight a guy like Vicente Luque right now? And Shaq, I got to mention, he's moving up a weight class for this too. Yeah, man. You know, uh, Rafael and Michael Bisping are very high on this uh, Jalen Turner guy. He's helped them out in both of their training camps. And uh, yeah, Bisping and RDA are very high on this kid, Jalen Turner. But, you know, unfortunately, uh, he has to get welcome to the UFC the hard way. Now, we have seen in the past where a fight's line like this can be a little sketchy. You know, uh, last week we almost saw Zaleski get choked out by... uh, or the last event, we almost saw Zaleski get choked out by that newcomer that was also fighting up a weight class. And, you know, sometimes things can get a little sketch. So I do think Vicente is going to play it a little bit safer here. Um, I, I, I could see the 6'3 kid uh, creating some matchup, pro- matchup problems a little bit. But uh, ultimately, I think Vicente will get his hand raised, whether it's by knockout or decision. Yeah, I, I feel you, Shaq. I mean, he's this big of a favorite for a reason and this kid Jalen Turner I'm not going to count him out just because of his physical capabilities man I mean he's a six foot three very athletic and scary guy and I feel like when he does reach his potential he's definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with but we also can't ignore the fact he has been stopped twice via strikes and we know Luke is a serious knockout artist so if Jalen has to come in here and take a quick little canvas nap I I think he'll be back better than ever and I actually think moving up to 70 is a good idea for a kid that big you know growing into his frame so I, I'm going to go with uh, Vicente Luque via left hook knockout, but, you know, if he does play it a little bit safe just because it is kind of a weird matchup, that wouldn't surprise me either, but I think he's the rightful favorite. Well, next up, we got a matchup between Aspen Latch. He's minus 165, the comeback on Tanya Evangers, plus 145. You going with the old school or the new school, Shaq? Man, it's a tough fight because, you know, it's kind of they kind of have the similar skill set. They like to... Uh, take girls down and you know pound them out uh tanya i mean she was pretty dominant in that uh invicta division she uh you know she lost to yana but then she uh won the rematch in pretty one-sided fashion she dominated uh aldana very easily so i mean she uh she's you know done her job but historically you know in ufc fights she hasn't won uh she tried out for the ultimate fighter against raquel pennington and lost and then she uh lost to uh cyborg of course which is no shame in that cyborg is the greatest female fighter of all time but uh you know it's a tough fight because you know i feel like aspen's very talented uh i mean if you watch her whole career is on ufc fight pass i mean when she uh, gets on top these girls generally don't get up uh you know her best win is probably over uh landsberg and i mean you know say whatever you want about landsberg but finishing landsberg's a big deal in my eyes you know uh she got on top of her and she smashed her head in, and that's not the first time she's done that. I mean, she's done that at least five or six times throughout her career. Um, the thing with Aspen is, I mean, she's young, you know, and sometimes when these young uh, these young prospects fight, uh, you know, the old the old vet, sometimes you know it goes their way, but a lot of times they uh, they they get taught a lesson, and you know, I feel like Tanya could possibly be that girl to get her a lesson. You know, I'm not convinced Aspen's going to be able to uh, 
get Tanya down like she does all these other opponents, you know. I feel like she's fought mostly snowflakes like, you know, Bobby Cooper and uh, a bunch of soccer moms I've never heard of. But she did finish Lena Landsberg. So, and she beat uh, Sajara Eubanks, which is a, a 125-round oh, decision, decision. You know, it was an ugly fight. You know, they stood a lot. But Aspen, she moves forward constantly. She puts her head down. She's a big girl, a big girl that struggles to make the weight. So we know on fight night, this chick's going to be uh, coming real heavy. But uh, I don't know if she can get Tanya down, and I don't know if Tanya can get her down. You know, I feel like their stand-up is about equal, too. You know, I feel like Tanya's got a decent right hand. And uh, Tanya, Tanya's very lucky my girl Kellen t- uh, tore her ACL because uh, that would have got ugly down there in Sao Paulo. But, you know, uh, it's a tough fight, a 50-50 fight. So, you know, I, I'm going to go with Tanya because she's the dog. She's more experienced. You know, I feel like she's been through the more adversity in his career. But it wouldn't shock me at all. You know, she is 37 years old. She is getting up there. But... You know, uh, I think there is value on Tanya Evinger in this spot. You know, I'm not saying Aspen Lad's a quitter or anything, but you know, she really hasn't seen seen really anything spe- anything made. You know, she hasn't uh, tasted the blood in her mouth yet. So, you know, I'll take Tanya for an upset, but uh, it's a 50-50 fight in my opinion. I'll just go with the dog. I feel you, Shaq, man. I feel like Aspen Lad hasn't really proven shit. You know, what she's proven to me is that, you know, she likes cheeseburgers more than she likes fighting. You know, she's missed weight and pulled out of more fights than she's actually competed in. So, you know, that to me just tells me a lot right off the bat. And not to mention, uh, you actually saw that picture of her that has been going around. Uh, my girl Aspen's on steroids for this fight, so I'm not convinced that she's going to make weight for this one either. But bottom line, let's say she does make it to the cage and her and Tanya Evinger do throw down, you know, you could favor the youth, and Aspen, when she does get on top, she has seemed to pound these girls out, but I feel like Tanya Evinger's got way too much experience for that. Tanya Evinger made it to the fourth round with Cyborg. Evinger went out there, finished Kunitskaya. She beat Aldana. So she's actually already been in there with some legit fighters and, and gotten her arm raised, and she knows what this is like. It's all about, does she still want it? You know, Does she still want to be in there? Does she still want to compete at, at the highest level? And, and if she does, I think she'll hand Aspen Ladd her first career defeat. So I'm going to go with uh, Tanya Evinger for the upset as well. Shaq, Alain Patrick versus Scott Holdsman. Alain Patrick, he's minus 260. The comeback on Scott Holdsman is plus 220. You think Patrick's going to be able to uh, bore the crowd one more time to a unanimous decision, or you think there's uh, some value in the dog here? Yeah, I definitely think Patrick will. You know, if one consistent thing in Scott Holdsman's fights is, you know, he – he uh, consistently goes to his back, and if you're <laughs> fighting a guy like Alan Patrick, who is hellbent on uh, tying those legs up and getting those jujitsu trips, uh, you know you're gonna be in trouble. You're gonna be getting 30-27. You know, just ask Demir and uh, Stevie Ray how how it was fighting Alan Patrick. The guy uh, is gonna swing wild. He's gonna lunge in, and he's gonna look for the uh, for the clinch and get you down and win each round. So I think there's gonna be no different here. I, I could actually see a finish as well by submission, but I think most likely it'll be 30-27. You know, I think he'll eat a couple smacks uh, along the way like he does uh, every fight. But you know, Alan uh, Alan knows what where his skills lie. He uh, knows how to execute his game plan very well, and I think he's got a good opponent to do that against. Holtzman, you know, he can't stay off his back. So I got uh, Alain Patrick. Yeah, I mean, look, they're both very physical guys. They're both big for the weight class. You know, Alain Patrick, obviously we know what he brings to the table. He's like the Brazilian John Fitch. But one thing about him, though, you know, he does have some capoeira technique, standing, very athletic guy, does backflips at the weigh-ins. 
you know, look, he's probably going to body lock my boy Scotty and, you know, put him on his back for three straight rounds, grind out that 30-27. Standing, it could get sketchy because Scott holds me. He's a big guy. He's an athletic guy. He hits hard. Former hockey player. He's tough. He's rugged. So, you know, if Alain Patrick doesn't try to use his normal game plan, then it could get sketchier than it needs to, but I think he will. I think he's going to body lock him, take him down, and I think he's going to get that 30-27. So, Alain Patrick is my pick here. And next up, we got Yana Kunitskaya. She's minus 220. The comeback on Lena Landsberg is plus 180. Both these chicks fought Cyborg. Both of them have some kind of an accomplishment in that fight, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention what that is. Landsberg made it to the second round, and Yana Kunitskaya got a takedown on Cyborg. So, hey, those are little moral victories. Now they face each other. Are you going with the elbow queen, or are you going with my girl Yana? Man, you know, I feel like this fight should be lined a little closer. You know, I think... Uh... You know, I think Landsberg's a girl that, uh, you know, she is up, uh, like similar to Tanya. You know, she's getting up there in age. She's 37, I think she is. But, uh, you know, she, uh, she's she got one elite skill, and that's the clinch, man. I mean, this girl uh, is a monster in that clinch. And, you know, the fight with uh, Lucy Putilova where her, her face was drooping off, you know, I went back and watched it. No, I'm not saying that Landsberg uh, convincingly won or anything, but the round that was up for question was the first round. And, uh Lena's very she's so good in the clinch that you know you know Lucy was tagging her up on the feet but her clinch is so strong that she was able to make it questionable enough for all three judges to give her that round and let her steal it you know and you know at first I was under the impression it was a complete robbery but then when I rewatched it it was like man I can't believe that last minute 30 in the clinch was enough for her to steal that round it's crazy I think Lena's an expert in the clinch you know with the elbows and just the overall clinch control you know she was you know dominating Aspen in the clinch that first round but then eventually Aspen hit that level change and you know when when you get a big girl like Aspen on top of you uh you know like uh Aspen likes to eat a lot of food bro so you know it's uh it's tough when Aspen gets on top of you but um and then you know her last fight I mean she kind of killed the books her last fight every you know everyone and their mom was on uh Gina Mazzani you know Gina was supposed to be the the hot prospect and you know they all forgot that uh she got finished in the first round to Sarah McMahon, but, you know, Lena came out there and put a clinch tie-up clinic on her. Now, Yana, you know, I, I, I feel like she is a little bit overrated for this line. You know, she uh, she fought, uh, she's got wins over Cindy Dandois, you know, who, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, she also beat uh, Yana and Wu, who I could also say Jesus Christ, too, as well. You know, she got her ass beat by Gina Mazzani. Um but then, you know, in Invicta, she pulled off that arm bar against Tanya Evinger. And, you know, it was a nice arm bar. But, you know, she did get taken down very easily before that. And then, you know, the uh, the second Evinger fight, I mean, she got completely dominated in. And, you know, um, she got finished. And then, you know, her fight with the, the Hawaiian, Raquel Paluli, who was like 6-5. and five, You know, I thought it was, I don't want to say low level, but, uh, you know, I really wasn't impressed. You know, I felt she got taken down with three head and arm throws against a six and five girl who, quite frankly, really didn't want to be in there, in my opinion. Um, you know, the striking was somewhat nice, but, you know, that girl's a snowflake, man. You know, I, I do think, uh, you know, when Landsberg separates from the clinch that, you know, she is a little prone to getting cracked on the chin, but she's a tough girl and she's hell bent on getting you back in that clinch. And I mean, I think Yana's clinch and wrestling game is very suspect unless, you know, she has been putting in that work with uh, Ray Seffo at Extreme Couture. You know, I, I could see a case where, you know, she can fall behind on points, you know, in the clinch. Uh, 
But, you know, I feel like she can regain those points uh, from the separations. And, you know, she lands a, you know, a teep to the body, you know. But I think this fight's going to be really close, man. You know, I don't think it's going to be the landslide victory that everyone thinks it's going to be for Yana. You know, I think she's overrated. But uh, it's... <laughs> I think it should honestly be, you know, minus 150 on uh, maybe a little closer. I mean, what's she really done? She's beaten a, a bunch of six and five girls. I mean, at least Landsberg. I mean, if you guys go back and watch that Pudalova fight, it's not the robbery that you think it is, you know. So, uh, you know, I'll take Yana just by a, a slight split decision, close back and forth fight. Like I said, I think Lena's got a solid style to, you know, weasel out decisions. I mean, she's hell been in that clinch, but uh, I think Yana's overrated. But unless, let's see if she makes some improvements. I know she's uh, been in Vegas a lot, so, you know, uh, let's see. But I'll take Yana by split decision. Yeah, I feel like Yana's biggest issue is once she gets taken down off her back, you know, sometimes she seems rather clueless. But one thing she does have going for her is she's huge for the weight class. She's super physical. When chicks get hit by that power, they, they don't react normally because they've never been hit by a girl that hits that hard. Now, I can't say that about Lena Lansbury because she got her eye closed by Cyborg, which is the hardest hitter in women's MMA history. So... At least Lena has that going for her. But I'm not sure how much more damage she can take, man. Because you look at the Cyborg fight, she got one of her eyes completely closed. You look at the Lucy Pudalova fights, those were absolute wars. You look at the Aspen Lad fight, she got her face pounded in. So I actually think that Lena Lansbury's damage meter is uh, it's getting up there, man. Not to mention, I wouldn't be surprised if she's had a couple plastic surgeries on that face. Because, I mean, there's always so many times you can damage that pretty face, Shaq. And I think that in this spot versus Yana... I think that Lena's simply not going to do enough to win the fight. Even though Yana's super green and she's got a lot of room to improve, especially on the mat, like I mentioned, what she does have going for her is that she is a killer standing. You know, she's got very nice spins, good technique with the one-twos, and more power than average for that division. So for that reason, I will go with Yana Kunitskaya to get the win. And... You know, I, I do think the line might be a bit wide, kind of like you mentioned. You know, I, I kind of felt like the uh, the opener was more, you know, was more accurate, the fact that it was a pick on the opener. But I understand why, you know, the the public's coming back on, on Kunitskaya because, like I said, she is the younger, fresher, bigger fighter, and she probably has the higher ceiling here. Lena's probably closer to retirement, but it opened a pick with a lean towards Landsberg, so this odds maker, he might know something, you know what I'm saying, and maybe maybe this is going to be Lena Landsberg's shot to get this upset here, because it opened favoring her, so I wouldn't be surprised, but close fight, I'm going to lean with Yana just because of the size and the physicality. Now, next up in the lightweight division, this is very interesting, Shaq. We got Nick Lentz. He's minus 230. The comeback on Gray Maynard is plus 190. Now, a couple years ago, it would have been this exact line, except it would have been flipped. It would have been Gray Maynard as the minus 230 favorite and Nick Lentz as the plus 190 dog. But as you know, times have changed. So what I got to know now, man, is uh, you think Nick Lentz is going to get this win here over the former number one contender, Gray Maynard? Yeah, you know, Nick Lentz, he's a solid guy. I mean, both of these guys have uh, been around for, you know, God knows how long. I think uh, Lentz has actually been fighting pro longer than Gray, but, you know, Gray's uh, accomplished a lot more in his career. But lately, you know, Lentz, uh, you know, he's just been win-lose, win-lose. Um, he does have that win over Will Brooks where he, uh, where he did break Will Brooks, but, uh, you know, the guy's quietly put on, has a decent UFC record, you know, I don't. 
I can't, uh, what is it, like 12 and 7 or something like that? I mean, the guy, uh, he gets his job done a lot. Now, Gray, on the other hand, you know, I feel like he's beat a couple snowflakes lately. You know, he beat Teru, you know, he who, you know, when they got in there, you could tell Gray was a lot bigger. And we all know Teru is one of the more mentally weak fighters there is, you know. Um, and also, Lentz, uh, Lentz is going to be there for the duration of the 15 minutes. I mean, the finish Lentz. I mean, it takes a lot, you know, and not to mention, you know, Lentz does have that good guillotine, but that guillotine could come, uh, could be a little detrimental here because we know Gray will seal off that top position. And uh, if he doesn't get the guillotine, you know, it could play out either ways. You know, the judges could look at it like, oh, he was threatening with that guillotine, or they could look at it as he's on bottom and uh, he's losing the round. So, you know, that, that guillotine could play a, a big factor in this fight. But I see Lentz getting the better of the stand-up exchanges. You know, I feel like Gray's still a stiff. I feel like he's just had a, a couple good matchups with, you know, complete bums like uh, Teru Ishihara and Fernando Bruno, you know, uh, just to get a couple wins. Not to mention the Ryan Hall fight. You know, he's so upset that Ryan Hall is flopping to his back. And, and, and it was horrendous, you know. I, but, like, you got to do something about it, bro. Gray, you're, you're a Division One wrestler, bro. Hop in his guard and, you know, you'll probably outsize him, bro. But... You know, uh, Gray's hits that autopilot sometimes, and, you know, he kind of really doesn't know what he's doing and really doesn't know where he is. So, you know, I'm going to take Lentz here. You know, will it be close? You know, I, I could possibly see it, but I think ultimately he'll get his hand raised just by landing the more harder shots and just doing the overall damage, you know. But uh, that guillotine kind of does worry me if he can't get the tap out because, you know, Gray might be able to stall out the rounds. But I'll take Nick Lentz. Such an interesting fight, man, just because – for the reason I mentioned that a couple of years ago, the line would have been flipped and it might've even been wider, man. A couple of years ago, it might've been gray Mater minus three to minus 400 against a guy like Nick Lenz, but times have changed and you can't ignore the fact that gray Maynard is a shell of himself and that he's not the same guy he once was and not even close, man. I mean, in this guy's prime, it's funny cause he's only got one career KO, but he knocked down Frankie Edgar like a hundred times. So he does hit kind of hard. I mean, let's just put it this way. You get hit on the chin clean by Gray Maynard, it's not going to be a pleasant feeling, and not to mention his D1 wrestling. But Nick Lentz is also a D1 wrestler, and one thing i got to say about Nick Lentz is since he moved up to 40, excuse me, to 55 because we know Dolce messed up his body, you know, the first couple were a little shaky, but I feel like he's starting to get his, uh, his groove back. You know, the only guys he's been losing to are David Timor and Islam Mahashev, who are two of the top prospects at 155 pounds, and... You know, the Islam fight was a bit of a domination, but he still had a very nice guillotine attempt in that fight. But the David Timor fight, I, I thought that was I thought that was a great fight. You know, David Timor has some great weasel tactics, some very nice eye pokes. He was able to get Lentz off his game. I'm not convinced Gray Maynard can do that. I, I, I also am not convinced Gray Maynard, you know, is going to be able to eat these shots. Fight. Not that Nick Lentz is some KO artist, because he absolutely is not a KO artist. But he's at a point where... He's just a more solid guy than Gray Maynard right now. You know, Gray, he went out there, he beat Teruto Ishihara, which I didn't think he was going to be able to do. You know, because I, I thought Gray was done to the point where literally, you know, you could uh, <laughs> you could flick a paper ball at his chin and he goes out cold. But it turns out that wasn't the case, and it didn't seem like Teru landed shit either. And obviously we know, you know, where, where Teru is from, they're not really known for their wrestling, right? And uh, Nick Lentz is a D1 wrestler. So I do think that Nick Lentz can stuff here. But I also think that the guillotine will be a big weapon. You know, guillotining a guy like Gray Maynard sounds like, yeah, right, you're not going to guillotine Gray Maynard. And in his prime, you probably won't. But here, I think he has diminished to the point where he could get guillotine. I also think he could, get, he could get caught with some shots, man. I mean, that left hook that rocked uh, Will Brooks and made him panic shoot. 
I don't see why that wouldn't rock Ray Maynard either. I mean, just because he beat Fernando Bruno and Teruto Ishihara does not mean the guy is back. His next birthday, he's going to be 40 years old. So I, I just think he uh, he had a great run. I wish the line was a little better. You know, I'm not trying to lay minus 230 on a guy like Nick Lentz. But if it was a little bit closer, I would take Nick Lentz uh, from a betting perspective. But since it's not, I would just take him as a pick. And I think Nick Lentz is going to come out here and defeat Gray Maynard. I wish I could say upset Gray Maynard because a couple of years ago it would have been. It would have been a huge upset. But now he is the rightful favorite. And I will take him here to win this fight. Now Shaq. Last but not least, the curtain jerker. And it's interesting because this fight has had so much line movement. We got Ryan LaFleur. He's minus 135. The comeback on Tony Martin is plus 115. Now, I want to say something real quick. Ryan Flair opened as a minus 265 favorite. Tony Martin opened as a plus 185 dog. It's currently minus 135 LaFleur with a plus 115 comeback on Tony Martin. So I got to know, Shaq, do you agree with all this line movement? Or do you think people are underestimating Ryan LaFleur a little bit? Yeah, it's a tough fight. You know, LaFleur's definitely getting up there in age. And, you know, Tony definitely looked good in his 170-pound debut. Uh, and, you know, historically, you know, guys moving up away classes, they uh, they generally go on a, at least a two- to three-five win streak. I mean, that uh, when they move up weight classes, they generally win their first couple fights. Uh, LaFleur, it's like, you know, every one of their moms on Tony Martin right now. And, you know, I understand why that performance against Nakamura was great. I mean, he looked great. From the opening bell to the finishing bell, it was the one time, you know, he didn't uh, he didn't plateau out, you know. Uh, generally, in most of his fights, you know, he's been kind of mentally weak in spots. Uh, and, you know, we've always said he's a guy with, you know, endless potential at 155. But maybe, you know, this weight class, uh, this moving weight class is, is what he uh, what he needed. But, you know, a guy like LeFleur, I can never count out, man like how people are counting him out. You know, I am going to pick Tony Martin just because I think he's the younger, fresher. And like I said, I do think uh, this weight, this uh, weight class changes what he probably needed. I mean, how many guys have we seen move up weight classes and their careers just completely turn around, man? It's crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, LaFleur's a guy who, you know, it's not the, it's not exciting. It's not, uh, it's not pretty, but the guy gets his job done a lot. He's got a solid left kick to the body and to the head, and he just knows how to win. He knows how to eke out, you know, these, uh, in between positions where, you know, a lot of guys fold. I mean, the guy's got his fundamentals down pat and he just knows how to win. You know, he's not going to quit. He's going to be there for the 15 minutes. And the guy, I do think is a little mentally tougher than Tony. You know, I feel like, at 155, Tony's shown time in and time out that, you know, mentally, you know, he has mental lapses in there. But, you know, we'll see how he does at 170. I'm going to take Tony Martin by a close decision. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if LeFleur, I mean, we've seen cases where everyone and their mom's on one guy. And uh, it turns out to go the other way, you know, kind of like uh, Miles Jerry versus Chad Mendes, for example, you know. So he opened LeFleur this high. We'll see uh, if it was for a reason. But, you know, I'll take uh, Tony Martin in a, uh, by a close decision. I have to say this, though, Shaq. The improvement or basically the way Tony Martin looked in his 170-pound debut compared to his last fight at 55 was night and day. It looked like this guy had life in the tank. It looked like, you know, he had water in his body and brain. It just looked completely different. Just open up two fight pass windows, pull up the OAM fight, pull up the Keitaro Nakamura fight, and just look at the difference in the physicality, the approach, the confidence for Tony Martin. Now, of course, now that Tony Martin beat Keitaro Nakamura, people are acting like, oh, Keitaro's a jobber, Keitaro's this and that. Keitaro went life and death <laughs> with Zaleski. Keitaro basically was a plus 800 dog against Tom Breeze and arguably won that fight. 
Keitaro finished Li Jingliang. So don't ever come at me with Keitaro as some fucking jobber because he's not. He's a very tough guy. And Tony Martin went out there and put on an absolute clinic against Keitaro. He shut him down in every aspect of the game. He beat him way easier than Zaleski did. Way easier than Tom Breeze did. It wasn't a back-and-forth fight like the Li Jingliang fight. It was a domination, 30-27, bell-to-bell. So I think that Tony Martin's got a lot of potential at 170 pounds. But this is a very tricky stylistic matchup for him because we know exactly what Ryan LaFleur does. He's uh, the 2018 boring grinder. He's the new John Fitch, you know. He's, hey, he fucking wins a lot of fights, man. And, uh, you know, he's not going to finish a fight. He's not going to get a highlight reel knockout. Ryan LaFleur is not going to do anything exciting. But what he will do is get those takedowns and win fights. So for that reason, hey, hats off to a guy like Ryan O'Flair. Not to mention, you know he's got a win over Santiago Ponzinibbio. It might have been a long time ago. Maybe Santiago needed to take his first UFC L. But the facts are, Ryan O'Flair defeated Santiago Ponzinibbio one time. They were both inside the UFC's octagon, and Ryan O'Flair got that arm raised. Now, it wasn't just a, a defeat. He, he beat his ass every round. He, uh, he dominated my boy Pons, who uh, is about to you know take out Neil Magny real quick in Argentina. But back to this. What's so interesting about this Tony Martin matchup is that Tony's takedown defense isn't the best, and there's a reason for that. It's not because he doesn't know how to sprawl. It's not that he doesn't know how to get underhooks or push on the head or pull the leg out or wall walk or anything like that. He's super confident in his jiu-jitsu ability. He's one of those guys that wants to get taken down so he can get the Kimura sweep. He wants to get taken down so he can use a guillotine or a Dars attempt as a sweep and then get on top from there. He's one of those guys. So that's interesting to me in itself because we know Tony is going to be taking him down. Excuse me. Ryan is going to be taking Tony down. So from there... Is Tony's jiu-jitsu good enough to sweep a guy like Ryan LaFleur? Like, like I want to know that straight up. That's why I'm intrigued by this matchup. Now, standing... Ryan LaFleur, one thing I respect about him is that he knows his limitations. You know, he's not coming out here trying to slug. Even though, don't get me wrong, he did have a nice little slugfest with Mike Pierce. But, you know, even though Mike Pierce is a solid guy, you know, Mike Pierce isn't, you know, you're not going to get knocked out by, by Mike Pierce most likely. You know, he might have been knocked out a couple guys along the way that aren't with the UFC anymore. But anytime he had to step up, you know, he would always lose a decision. We, we know the deal with my boy Mike Pierce. And, you know, Ryan LaFleur stood toe-to-toe with Mike Pierce. So it's not like every single fight's been super boring. But in a fight like this where I think that Tony does have the striking advantage in the sense that I think his one-twos are crisper than uh, Ryan LaFleur, I think he can pop the head back of a guy like Ryan LaFleur. I also think he's got a nice body kick too. Ryan LaFleur, uh, Ryan LaFleur doesn't have a half-bad left kick either. So Ryan LaFleur standing, I don't think he's going to try to trade too many punches. I think he's just going to try to throw that kick and then close the distance from there. And then what happens after that, that's what I'm most intrigued about. Is he going to be able to hold down a guy like Tony Martin and stall him out? Or is he actually going to get swept by the jiu-jitsu of Tony Martin? You know what? This line movement is sketching me out. He opened minus 265. Now he's minus 135. That's over a dollar. In line movement, my man. And I think the odds maker might know something. He might have set it too high, but he, I think he might be on to something here. I'm going to go with uh, Ryan LaFleur via a very boring decision. It's going to be another Ryan LaFleur fight. He's going to just edge it out with takedowns. But I don't think Tony Martin should be discouraged if he takes an L here because he looks great at 170. And I think that this is just a it's a weird stylistic matchup for him is all I got to say. And I disagree with Sean Shelby saying they're the two most boring fighters in the weight class. Maybe LaFleur is, 
But even though he's had some good ones like the Mike Pierce fight, but maybe LaFleur is the most boring guy. But Tony Martin, man, I mean, that Johnny Case fight was really good. Uh, even, all the fights he's lost were pretty exciting. So, you know, I, I don't think uh, he's the most boring guy at all. You know, I, I think uh, my boy Sean Shelby should be maybe looking at a guy like Elias Theodoro as the most boring guy. But luckily, you know, Elias is about to fight my boy, your boy. And, uh,. That's such a good fight for Eric Anders because now he doesn't have to worry about, you know, getting hit hard. Now he, all he has to worry about is Elias not accumulating volume on the air and winning a decision that way. So, But back to this. I'm going to go with Ryan LaFleur via a very boring decision. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, you ready for the biggest fight of 2018 this Saturday? As ready as you can get, man. I am pumped, ready to chase this $100,000 top prize on DraftKings and... My lineups are locked and loaded, so I'm hoping nothing changes. Let's not even beat around the bush, man. Conor McGregor versus Khabib Nurmagomedov. It's either going to be 27-0 or 26-1. Which one's it going to be? Man, um, I'm going to have to go ahead and be a Conor fan here, so I'm going to pick Conor to win this. He's going to be my pick. <clears throat> However, this is easily the best fight on the card. It's a no-brainer. Um, if you're making multiple lineups, this is the fight you go all in on. Um so we'll say if you're making 10 lineups, ideally for me, the best route is just five and five. Make five Connor, five Khabib. But if you're real heavy on either side, uh, I think you should go a little bit heavier on them, maybe seven and three. But this fight needs to be in all 10 because the winner will be on the first place lineup unless something crazy happens. Um, so this is the fight to target. I think it'd be a little bit too crazy to go all in on one of them and do like 10 Khabib, zero Connor. I've heard people talking about that. I think that's just a little bit too wild for me. Um, but to be honest, I think Khabib is probably the better play. Uh, a lot of people are going to be playing this card for the first time just because they're watching Conor McGregor and they want a chance at $100,000. So they're going to throw in Conor McGregor into their lineup. So I think he's going to be the highest owned fighter on the card, uh, maybe even more than 50% owned. Uh, so I think Khabib might be the better play. Get, get your leverage over there. Go maybe 6-4 Khabib, something like that. Um, but this is definitely the best fight to target. It's going to be over 100 points for the winner, and I can't wait to see how it plays out. But I'll be rooting for Connor unless my best lineup going into that fight has Khabib. I like my money more than any fighter, so I'll be rooting for me. Um, but if I have no shot at first, I'll be rooting for Connor. So Tony Ferguson is taking on Anthony Pettis. Look, the line's wide for a reason, but I got to know, as a betting man, do you see any value in Anthony Pettis, or do you agree that you know he should be that big of an underdog? I, I, honestly, if I had to bet this fight, I would rather take the Pettis side at these lines. At the uh, 310 right now, that's that's just too high, I think, for Ferguson coming off a knee injury. We saw the same thing happen with Sergio Pettis in his last fight against a guy coming off a knee injury. Um, maybe he's lost a step or two, but Ferguson is definitely my pick to win this. Um, and he's one of my favorite fighters on DraftKings as well. But I also like some Pettis in my lineups. Um, so... Let's go back to the 10 lineups. If you're making 10, I would probably go five Ferguson and then maybe one Pettis as a hedge, something like that. But I do want some exposure to both these guys because Pettis is only 6.9K. That's so cheap. So if he can go out there and get a knockout, he's for sure going to be on the optimal lineup. Uh, Ferguson is hittable. We've seen that. Pettis can hit hard, kick hard. So, I mean, it's not impossible for him to get the knockout here. So he will be low-owned, and he's very cheap. So that's what I like about him. But Ferguson's the pick, and he just puts up such a high pace that 
I think it's going to be hard for Pettis to deal with, and that high pace allows Ferguson to get a lot of points on DraftKings as well. So uh, he's one of my favorite my favorite fighters on the card. I'm going to have a lot of them, but I don't think you should fade Pettis completely here. I'm looking forward to this fight. It's one of my favorite on the card. So this heavyweight matchup between Volkov and the Black Beast, it's interesting because I got to know from a DraftKings perspective, do you fade a fight like this for the potential that it has very low output? Or do you have a conviction a conviction that one of these guys is going to come out here and get that knockout? No, I'm definitely leaning Volkov. I think he's the better fighter, has way more ways to win. But I can't fade this fight just because they're heavyweights. Either guy could get over 100 points here with the first-round knockout. So going back to the 10 lineups, I think you got to have at least one of each guys, in my opinion, um, to go after that 100-plus points. But I would really like to know how owned these guys are going to be in that tournament because if they're going to be chalky fighters, then I would rather fade it because we've seen people afraid to engage with Lewis, and that ends in these boring decisions that are not high-scoring on DraftKings. And that could happen again here. Um, I just think Fulkov's just the the much better fighter, and I see him getting it done maybe later in the fight. So he's my pick. Um, Ten lineups, I would probably do like three Volkov, one Lewis. I don't know, something like that. Unless you like Lewis to win, then I'd flip it. But I would want to be I – I mean, I would want to have this fight in like half, less than half my lineups. So I don't love it, but you got to have some investment to it if you're making multiple lineups, which I am. So Felice Herrick's taking on Michelle Watterson, and this is one of those fights where the line keeps flipping back and forth. Do you think it's going to be as close as the line indicates, or do you favor a certain side? I actually think the line's a little too close. I would favor Herrick a little bit more than that. Um, so she's my pick here. I don't love this fight as much as the last three that we talked about at all. Uh, I think this is one of the worst fights to target on the card. If you're making 10 lineups, I think you could really fade the whole fight if you want to. But if you are going to use it in those 10 lineups, I would go Herrig only probably and just fade Watterson. Unless you think Watterson's going to win, then I would only use Watterson and fade Herrig. But this is not a fight I really want a lot of exposure to. I think it's going to be um, a somewhat low-scoring decision, and it could be a back-and-forth fight where maybe one of the fighters does well for two rounds, but they don't accrue a lot of points in that round that they lose. So I'm always worried about that in these close fights. I just think there's better fights to target on this card. Herrick's the pick. Formiga is taking on Pettis. It's interesting because Formiga gets that back control for three straight rounds. You know you know those takedowns add up, Kyle, but Sergio Pettis, he's been clinical with the striking. Which way are you going? I'm going to lean the underdog here, actually. Uh, I won a nice bet on Sergio in his last fight, but I'm going to have to go against him here and hopefully win a nice bet on Formiga as the underdog. I think he has uh, submission potential in any round, really, ideally the first two. Um, but that's where all the points come from. If he can get those that first or second round submission, he's going to be on the winning lineup at his 7.6K price tag. Uh, so for me, he's one of my favorite underdogs this week. Uh, I like him a good bit, and I think Sergio's a, a decent fade here. At 8,600, he's going to need a knockout to pay that off, I'm thinking. And I just don't see him getting a knockout, so I would rather fade him at that price, go with the underdog, um, so let's go juicy. So Vicente Luque is taking on the newcomer Jalen Turner. Look, the line is super wide. He's a huge favorite. This kid Jalen Turner has got some uh, athletic gifts, man. So I mean, are you uh, are you willing to pay the the big price tag for a guy like Vicente, or do you have a different opinion? Yeah, I'm willing to pay it. Um, 
Vicente's inside the distance line is what, like minus two seventy, I believe. Um, and that's what that's what we want in DraftKings. I think he is going to go out there and get a finish. So he could easily be the highest scoring fighter on the card. <clears throat> so I am okay with paying that price, and he's by far the biggest favorite on the card. So I think he's a decent cash play as well, even at that price. Um, so going back to our 10 lineups, he's probably one of my favorite guys on the card. It's just who you're going to want more, him or Ferguson. It's hard to fit both. You might have to take a chance. I'm thinking Luke is going to be higher owned because of his odds value. But Ferguson's the bigger name. So I'm really not sure. I'm just going to... I'm just going to go pretty high on both of them. Uh, but I would also want maybe one lineup with Turner here because this kid looks pretty good. I mean, he's definitely not a scrub in my opinion. He could go out there and get a knockout, and that would end a lot of people's nights with Luke. Um, so not only would you probably score highly in a knockout with Turner, but you would kill off maybe half the field with Luke lineups as well. So that's what I do like about Turner here. Um, I wouldn't go like overly invested in a plus 575 underdog, but – one out of those 10 lineups, I think, is an okay shot if you're trying to win that $100,000. So Alain Patrick's taking on Scott Holtzman. I bet Alain Patrick's been a bit of a gem for the DraftKings world because the guy does add up all those takedowns. But now he's taking on a fellow physical athlete in Scott Holtzman. So I got to know, man, what's your opinion on this from a DraftKings perspective? Yeah, Patrick's another one of those top guys I like. And I think he's a good pivot away from Ferguson and Luke, to be honest. Um, most people are going to go up there to those guys. So that leaves Patrick, who's going to be going for takedowns the whole fight, maybe under-owned, which that's what I like about him. Um, 9,100, he could definitely pay that off even in the decision. Uh, he just doesn't strike enough, so he, he really needs a lot of takedowns to get the points. Like In his last fight, he had nine takedowns, six advances. Those were almost all of his points because he only had 28 significant strikes. He's never had more than 40 significant strikes in his career, so... You really need a lot of takedowns, and if he's unable to get a lot, then he's not going to pay that off. So it's really how you see this fight going. He's definitely my pick. I think he will get those takedowns, um, and I like him a good bit. Last but not least, Ryan LaFleur is taking on Tony Martin. Heavy action has come in on Tony Martin. I mean, I recall seeing this guy at like plus 160 odds. Now he's plus 115. It could be a pick him by fight night. So you going with the grappling-heavy attack of LaFleur, or do you think Tony Martin can catch him along the way? Um, so I think Tony Martin's one of the best underdogs on the card because of this value we get here. Like, like you mentioned, the line is real close now on the betting line, but on DraftKings, Tony Martin's 7,400 compared to LaFleur's 8,800. So he's $1,400 cheaper on an almost even betting line. You got to like Martin there. Um, he's definitely my preferred play, but LaFleur is going to be maybe the least owned fighter on the entire card because of this lack of value in his uh in his salary and he just does not put up exciting fights so he's going to be like five percent owned maybe that's a tricky way to get that hundred thousand maybe throw him in a lineup just because nobody else is um tony martin's probably going to be pretty chalky because of all that value so lafleur's definitely the sneakier play here if you're making one lineup i would rather just go ahead and use him shoot for that hundred thousand dollars uh but if you're making multiple lineups martin is the pick here well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battles going down this Saturday. Conor McGregor, Khabib Nurmagomedov. The whole world will be watching, my friend. The fans can follow you at Big Marley 3. And, uh, Kyle, any message for them? Nah, let's win some money this weekend. I hope somebody hits that $100,000 win. If so, 
tweet me the picture on Twitter. Uh, I'll be selling my DraftKings write-up for only $7.99. That shit's like 30 pages. Gives you all the info you want. Check out my Twitter. Let's make some money. Yeah, I, I hope someone wins the 100K too. I, I hope that someone's name is uh, Daniel. You know what I'm saying, Kyle? Dude, I would, I would love that for you, man. I'd be great. Just send me seven ninety nine if so, all right? <laughs> all right, brother. I'll give you your cut. We'll speak soon, my man. All right, bro. Take care. Good luck. Let's get it. Let's get it. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC 229? Yeah, my fight to watch is going to be Alexander Volkov versus Derek Lewis, you know, possibly a number one contender fight in the heavyweight division along with, uh, well, if Blades beats uh, Angano. But, you know, this probably is the number one contender fight. Both of these guys have been on, you know, crazy streaks. They both got interesting styles. And, you know, either someone's going to be laid out stiff or, you know, uh, Alexander's going to continue his run. You know, they did have Alexander as, uh, you know, the replacement for uh, – DC and Stipe, so, you know, they think very highly of this guy, but that's my fight to watch. I love watching Black Beast fights, even though uh, they're boring, because uh, when he does get that KO, I love when he uh, does his uh, victory his victory dance. Yeah, and hopefully if he gets this KO, uh, he calls out my girl Ronda again, but uh, my fight to watch is going to be Tony Atukui Ferguson versus Anthony Pettis, you know, aside from the main event, that is, you know, you just know for a fact that it's going to be violence in there. You know, no one's going to hump anyone's leg. The crowd's not going to be booing. You know, we're not going to, you know, call. We're not going to be taking a smoke break during Pettis versus Ferguson. So, aside from the main event, El Kukui versus Showtime is the fight to watch, Shaq. Well, Shaq, who is the fighter to watch for UFC 229? Yeah, my fighter to watch is going to be Dominic Reyes. You know, 205 is weak, man. They need some uh, They need some more players in the division. I mean, if he goes out here and he uh, finishes OSP the way I think he's supposed to, I think, uh, you know, like he's in line for big fights right after that. I mean, 205, you can be rushed up very quick. So, you know, uh, Dominic Reyes is my fighter to watch. We're going to see. We're going to find out if he's uh, this real prospect or not. Yeah, absolutely. Cannot wait to find that out. And for me, the fighter to watch is the king. Connor, the notorious McGregor. Look, not only does he have a chance to come out here, reclaim his lightweight belt, be a three-time UFC world champion, but Shaq, he's got a chance to hand a guy his first defeat who, you know, it's one thing to be 10-0, it's one thing to be 15, 26-0, Shaq. If Khabib wins this fight, he'll be 27-0. If Connor wins this fight, Khabib will be 26-1. This is such a big deal. And not to mention all the stuff that's been going on outside the cage. Him throwing the dolly, his alleged coke habits, you know, making over 100 mil from the Floyd Mayweather fight. We didn't even talk about the Floyd Mayweather fight. I mean, dude, how much better have his hands probably gotten since that point if he had to exclusively train boxing for that matchup? Uh, I'm sure his hands are looking even better for this. But he's going up against uh, an unstoppable force in Khabib Nurmagomedov. It's just so good. It's must-see TV. Buy the pay-per-view. I I cannot wait. So Conor McGregor is my fight to watch uh, for those reasons, Shaq. Well, my man, it's going down this Saturday. UFC 229, Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Conor McGregor. The biggest fight of 2018. And, uh, man... We're lucky to be alive at a time like this. You know, fights like this are happening. This is a dream matchup that we've wanted to see for years. And now we're going to see it, Shaq. It's only two days away, my man. Definitely the greatest lightweight matchup of all time. I hope the uh, entire car lives up. And, uh, you know, I feel like uh, a lot of people are saying the undercard's not very good to leading up into a fight like this. But I disagree, man. I think we're going to get some good fights. So I'm excited. 
Absolutely. Start to finish. I'm very excited to watch it. And uh, I know you guys will be tuning in too. Thank you guys so much for listening to Half the Battle and supporting us. We really appreciate it. All our longtime fans and our new time fans, we appreciate you all. Thank you very much. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. Follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Our Instagram is Best Fight Picks Official. Our website is bestfightpicks.com. And Shaq, until the next time, let's cash these bets.